Did you miss your favorite WXVU show? Have no fear, because every single WXVU show is available on demand. You heard that right, every single show. Search WXVU on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll find archives of all of our weekly shows. It's another reason why this truly is the greatest semester in the history of Villanova's V891, The Roar. Good morning, Villanova. You're listening to WXVU Villanova, a.k.a. The Roar, and you're tuning in to Sing of the Hill with your host, Ray Singh. That's me. And I'd like to say, we're having some really nice weather, and it's surprising because it's February, and the weather is so nice. I don't personally know why that is. I'm not a meteorologist or or any expert in the field of weather, but I'm happy that we're having such nice weather because on Friday, Villanova's hosting a winter gala for the students, and personally, I'm going with my friends, and I'd like it to stay uh, this nice. So, in fact, actually, it looks like that the weather for Friday <laughs> is going to be a bit rainy and probably going to drop down in the night, but it's still going to be um, probably a pretty nice day overall, so here's to looking forward to that. Um, before I continue with the show, I'd like to first start off by uh, doing a little bit of promotion for Villanova Student Theatre. Uh, I should say Villanova Student Musical Theater, because they, along with the Department of Theater and Studio Art, are presenting It Should Have Been You, a a play, and it will be uh, showing uh, 8 p.m. February 16th, 17th, 18th, 23rd, and 24th, and then 2 p.m. on February 18th as well, and the 23rd as well. And tickets for that are $10. So, I recommend going and seeing that, because Villanova Student Musical Theater always puts on uh, some really nice uh, plays. And It Should Have Been New is truly a, a good one. I won't spoil the details for anyone who's unfamiliar. Uh, when I was uh, told about the play... Uh, the theater putting this on, I did a little bit of research because I'm curious like that, and it's really an interesting story, but I won't spoil. Uh, as I said, tickets are $10, and Villanova students, this is an ACS-approved event, so I highly recommend uh, going for it if you can, because, well, you guys need ACS-approved events, and you might as well go to one that you'll know will be enjoyable. Because that's something tricky that I found my freshman year. Is that some of the ACS events were kind of mid. Like, I don't know. Like, I just didn't have as much fun with them as, as well, advertised. So, I recommend going for this one. Because it definitely seems like... It'll be a good time. <coughs> but, um, how are we doing Villanova? I hope everyone's doing good. As I mentioned, the weather is nice. 
uh, got a good ACS event, uh, slash play, well, the, the ACS event is the play, got a good, got a good play coming up, got the winter gala coming up, so Villanova students, the future is looking rather bright, and now, I understand that spring break is coming up too, in a little bit, because midterms are, well, they're not around the corner, but they're they're approaching, and the reason why I want to talk about them now is because I want to talk about some of the uh, destinations that college students often go to for spring break, and I want to talk about them now because if you listen and, like, if you're listening and you're like, huh, I want to go there, then you can book now rather than later. Like, if I told you this, like, a week before spring break, then chances are everything's going to be booked out, or you're going to be left with, like, the one-star hotels. Not that there's anything wrong with them, although one-star hotels are rated one-star for a reason. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, let me, uh, let me run through you guys, uh, some of these destinations. So... I have a list of 15 different destinations, and I think I'll start with number 15. Um, so you've got, uh, at number 15, uh, personally, I think this is a great destination. You've got San Juan, Puerto Rico, um, and, you know, Puerto Rico spring breaks can be, like, a final destination of your break. Or, like, good parts of a cruise. But, you know, uh, it's got some really nice uh, destinations. Like, good good clubs, good hotels, uh, lots of good restaurants. And the, the culture there is really, really nice. So, I recommend San Juan. Um, then you've got, obviously, Miami, Florida. Miami's a big one. So many people I know go to Miami during spring break, and I understand why, because it is also a very rich center of, of well, culture. It's really one of those cities that is a mixing pot. And of course, you've got South Beach. Everybody knows South Beach when you say Miami. That is, if you know Miami. And... Miami Beach has been considered really a beach resort since the 1920s. And you can spend your day at South Beach, Miami Beach. Um, But then you can go in the night into the city and you can experience, again, clubs, restaurants, uh, vibrant culture. Like, it's truly an amazing place to go to. So, there's that. Then, I have uh, Clearwater, Florida. It is on the west coast of Florida's peninsula. In fact, um, there's the uh, intracoastal waterway that naturally separates the city of Clearwater and Clearwater Beach. Um, And the beach part of the city has these this beautiful white sand uh, beach that's, like, commonly known on 
uh, the Gulf Coast. And the city also hosts a festival during that spring break time that spring breakers can take advantage of, really. And it's like it's like an all-night, all-day, all-night thing. And there's beautiful beachfront places to hang out, go shopping, and of course hotels. <coughs> and there's also the Sugar Sand Festival that happens each year on Clearwater Beach. So that's also a great attraction to go to. And you can choose really from three beaches. Um, there's North Beach which is really mostly residential, so unless you're booking like an Airbnb or something like that, or if you have a house or you know somebody who has a house down there, um, you'll probably not be able to get access to it, but it's there if you can. Then there's Pier 60 for uh, those who love the beach and water sports. And that one, that one's really the big party beach. And then there's South Beach, uh, that is a much smaller area that, uh, is also more monitored because that, that one's more of a calm family beach, you know, for, uh, for families and the older folk. So, um, but there's also the aquarium, the Clearwater Marine Aquarium. Uh, you can watch bottlenose dolphins go for a swim. That's a pretty interesting thing, because, uh, bottlenose dolphins are, well, they're cute, and I like, I like aquariums personally, um, I know not everybody does, but, um, I like, I don't, well, I don't like the concept behind aquariums, because sometimes I feel like, uh, animals and sea life, you know, they might be sedated, because they're not because nature, honestly, nature is kind of erratic, and animals in these environments do not act as erratically, so I'm not too sure about about that, um, but generally aquariums, like, I like aquariums more than zoos, because zoos are, like, not very directed, like, there are obviously, like, individual, um, like, like, animal enclosures and stuff like that, but aquariums, like, there's always a direction to an aquarium, like, you keep going in, like, a certain line, and you get to see everything. With zoos, it's like the enclosures are just scattered around, and you have to go from place to place, like, plan your own route. In aquariums, the route is already planned out for you, and you get to see, well, everything. So... So yeah, that's uh, that's Clearwater, Florida. Then there's Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. I hope I didn't butcher that. Um, and um, it's a resort. Uh, it's basically a resort city. Uh, and its uh, its coastline is the Pacific Ocean, and it is one of the friendliest cities in the world, uh, as rated by many, uh, many interest groups, and 
In fact, spring breaking comprises, I think, I think the statistic was 50% of the city's economic revenue. So, or maybe it was tourism altogether. Um, yeah, I, I believe it was tourism altogether. And, you know, that, that starts technically in Thanksgiving time, you know, staying then till Christmas. Well, not staying there till Christmas, but, you know, you have tourism again during the Christmas and holiday season, I should say. Um, and then, obviously, you've got spring break. And... Really, uh, their calendar for when the tourist season begins often coincides with uh, the our academic calendars. So that's really fun. Um, and this place really offers students uh, really a place to party in, not to be cliche, but in a fun in the sun type of environment. And they can take advantage of, spring breakers can take advantage of a variety of outdoor activities, <laughs> including uh, nature parks, snorkeling in really crystal clear waters, and generally being lazy nicely, uh, getting taking advantage of the inner sloth in you on the pristine beaches. In fact, many consider Puerto Vallarta one of the best spring break destinations for students on a budget since it's easily accessible by uh, plane and car. And they've got a couple of famous beaches, uh, Camarones, uh, Olas Atlas, uh, Los Muertos, and Playa Boca de Tomates. So I highly recommend that place too. Then, of course, everybody knows number 11. You've got Cabo San Lucas, uh, San Lucas, uh, Mexico, or, um, or Cabo. And, um, you know, it used to, it used to be, uh, a much, like, laid-back, chill place. You know, not that many people really knew it. It's one of the, one of the hidden gems for a while. Um, and then, of course, celebrities found it, and it just exploded into this hot vacation spot, and, again, like, it was, it was one of the more quieter destinations, but now, uh, I, I shouldn't say now, because it was just, it was popularized in the late 80s, early 90s, but, but yeah, no, it's, um, truly, uh, one of the hotter destinations, uh, for spring break, there's, uh, if you're, if you're big into rock, you have to check out the Cabo Wabo Cantina, named after Van Halen's single, Cabo Wabo, uh, which is a nightclub owned by uh, a former Van Halen singer, Sammy Hagar. Um, and Cabo also has some rather infamous day parties. 
and you can do a myriad of things, you know, obviously there's drinking, uh, drinking, uh, you play volleyball, you can toss a football around, you can swim in the beach, uh, some people try wakeboarding, um, then there's also, there's scuba diving, um, like further in, um, but yeah, one, I think one could classify Cabo as a cheap spring break destination um, because of how much it has to offer. Tenth, you've got, this time going more inland, uh, you have Savannah, Georgia. And now, Savannah, Savannah, Georgia holds the distinction of being the oldest city in Georgia since it was founded in 1733 and it's it was built actually in a interesting style it's it was built in squares each with a different name and a different purpose and the city's rich history and past experiences can be well experienced through their famous Savannah Walking Ghost Tour. And Spring Breakers interested in the cult or hard to explain type of things can really enjoy this 90 minute tour um, before or after um, munching down on really a very eclectic variety of foods. Um, because there is definitely a lot of great restaurants in Savannah, Georgia. Personally, uh, I haven't uh, been. Well, I should say I don't. I haven't really been to any of these places. Um, but from what I've researched, there's definitely a lot of good places to uh, to go to eat. And um, if you are missing the water. You can definitely go on a smooth uh, paddlewheel boat ride on the Savannah River. Um, if you want to, uh, if you want to do something more laid back, there's the Telfair Museums, where you can discover more of the rich history of the city. Um, you can always take trolley rides through Savannah, and you can even do a Segway tour. Or just segue around the city yourself. So, I think that's a pretty good destination. Number nine, again, very famous destination. Um, if your parents uh, uh, wanted to spend the extra time in high school, I'm sure many of you know uh, Cancun, Mexico. Cancun is located on the Yucatan Peninsula, which borders the Caribbean Sea. Uh, a Cancun spring break takes place on the Riviera Maya, one of Mexico's most eastern points, and spring break trip ideas and when considering what Cancun has to offer college students ready to play. Uh, if you want to catch a bit of history during your stay, consider visiting mine sites nearby in the, uh, in the hotel zone. And of course, beach-loving spring breakers can find the awesome beach parties or ride a variety of, uh, of water sports. And of course, nighttime partiers absolutely should check out the many famous nightclubs located nearby. 
or hop on the booze cruise for which Cancun is famous for. Again, guys, like I said last week about the Super Bowl, drink responsibly. Um, that is, if you are someone who drinks, I would not start drinking if you're not comfortable, but again, that's just me. So that's number nine. Uh, number eight, you've got Key West, Florida. Now, Key West, Florida is really the last stop geographically along Florida's Keys. And now Key West is small, but again, also historically rich, a historically rich city, uh, which really loves to party. In fact, Key West is closer to Cuba than to Miami. And I believe the distance is somewhere like 95 Cuba, uh, 130 Miami, something like that. And and Key West really is the uh, ideal spring break destination. I would point out that Key West and Miami Beach are really the only two places in the continental United States that have never experienced a frost or a freeze. So, basically, you're not going to be cold while you're there in spring break. And Key West is also a popular port for uh, spring break cruises. So, if you want to do a cruise that leaves or arrives or comes to Key West, you can do that. Um, I should say that spring breakers should plan carefully to ensure they experience all the incredible options that... um, Key West offers, like uh, like a sunset cruise, jet ski tours, parasailing, dolphin eco-tours, snorkeling, and even boat rentals. You can explore the culture, visit, you can even visit Ernest Hemingway's home if you know uh, the famous author. He even penned a portion of A Farewell to Arms there. A lot of us had to read this book in high school. I know I did. So, if that was you, you get to see where some of that was written. And I know some of you are saying, Oh, but Ernest Hemingway, oh, that book was so boring. To which I say, shut up. Because <laughs> it really is a interesting attraction that um, anybody should take advantage of. So, uh, and, and like, uh, some of the other places, you can even go snorkeling. Um, yeah. So, I recommend that place, too. That was number eight. Um, number seven is Nassau in the Bahamas. And the Bahamas have become really, uh, rather fast-growing spring break destination for uh, Caribbean spring break options. And Nassau offers really the best of both worlds. Um, for those uh, spring breakers ready to party and play every day, Bahamas spring break offers non-stop action and partying from dawn to dusk. And for those who are looking for calm and peace after a difficult semester, can absolutely find unique places to relax within the tropical paradise. 
So, uh, a Bahamas spring break destination really offers spring breakers, um, a lot because you can, you can choose to, uh, pay for, uh, platinum passes, um, which you prepay and you get snorkeling, open bars, dancing contests, and a lot of local food. And you're able to prepay, and it's really like, what's the word? All-inclusive um, for your time there. And again, a really beautiful, pristine white sand beaches that really nestle up to these brilliant turquoise waters. And hotels even offer gaming packages and casinos where where you can try your luck at machines or tables. So I, again, now saw uh, Bahamas, a really interesting place to go to. And you can get all-inclusive packages. Then, of course, a big one, for many reasons, is New Orleans, Louisiana. And actually, um, a couple of my friends went to New Orleans for spring break during Mardi Gras, and they had an amazing time, but, um, but yeah, no, New Orleans is known worldwide for every, everything it really has to offer, the food, the music, uh, it's rich history, um, and like I said, Mardi Gras, one of the most renowned attractions, has, uh, really rich parades, uh, nightlife, uh, on Bourbon Street and the French Quarter, um, many actually consider New Orleans to be one of the most unique cities, uh, in the United States, with, um, I believe the number is, like, a couple thousand visitors annually during spring break, and, while, of course, New Orleans has definitely faced its more than its fair share, I think any, uh, there's no fair share of natural disasters that a city can experience, I think. No disasters is a fair share, but New Orleans has absolutely experienced uh, more than its fair share. But it's truly a very resilient city, and it contains some of the most hardy people ready to rebuild. And, uh, going back, New Orleans Bourbon Street is really flush with music and bars and a palpable energy. New Orleans is a great place for spring break destinations uh, for college students, especially if you are a foodie. You can chow down on jambalaya, other uh, Creole food, and uh, mufalates as well as uh, really, really fresh, melt-in-your-mouth French pastries, as well as an assortment of an entire, an entirely huge amount of other cuisines. And you can browse boutique-style hotels, outdoor concerts, vintage antique shops, and you can have really wild weekends 
uh, for even the most serious partier. So, and it is well known to be a great spring break destination for college students on a budget. Folks, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WXVU Villanova, a.k.a. The Roar. And we're talking about some really nice spring break destinations. But before I continue, I have to say that Villanova 89.1 The Roar is proud to announce that we can now be heard on 89.1 all day, every day, for the first time in Villanova's history. Listen to our programming anywhere in the main line on 89.1, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, with our now full-time FM signal. And now back to back to our list, we go to our top 5. So, that is some great timing. So number 5, uh, I'm definitely going to butcher this, Ocho Rios, Jamaica, which translates to... Eight Rivers, Eight Rivers, Jamaica, um, used to be a simple fishing village, and now, (coughs) now, is a pretty well-known, uh, spring break destination on the island of Jamaica, uh, Ocho Rio is generally considered a go-to, for uh, Jamaica spring break vacations. And spring breakers and standard vacationers alike have a unique opportunity to visit nearby Columbus Park, uh, the place that claims it is the first place that Christopher Columbus first stepped on land. And this park includes a plethora of colonial Spanish structure surrounded by relevant maritime artifacts to view. Ocho Rios can also be an awesome port of call for cheap spring break cruises. Jamaica spring breakers can also take advantage of the spring break parties at Margaritaville and Rick's Cafe. Uh, Two really nice destinations to visit while you're there. Spring breakers can definitely party with other spring breakers from around the world, as this is really an international destination. And that includes, uh, obviously, the United States, but parts of even Europe, including Great Britain, and even people from Asia. And, it, like I said, it's well known, so you're going to see people from all over. I wouldn't be surprised if you even see people from Oceana. And you can check out their beachfront food events or the reggae music playing everywhere. And really, if you have the motivation, you will find something to do. Because there is something for everyone. You've got museums, waterfalls. The waterfalls are very famous, but I'll come back to that. you got the beaches, and you've got... Really an unbeatable nightlife. I say unbeatable, but there are a couple more places at the top of the list that I think might change your mind. But truly an amazing nightlife. But back to those waterfalls. A lot of the, a lot of the different pictures that you see on maybe Instagram or Facebook 
of people going to Jamaica uh, and taking shots in front of waterfalls, a lot of that is at Ocho Rios. But, yeah, like I said, it's definitely an amazing place to go to. Next, you've got Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And I've personally uh, heard testimonies from some people, just like I heard uh, for um, New Orleans, that this is really a fun place to go to. And it is definitely cost-effective for the uh, budgeting college student, as many of us are. And... Spring break is, well, really a student's time to let loose after a challenging semester. And Myrtle Beach is often considered one of the best spring break destinations for college students on a budget. Um, and Myrtle Beach is along uh, the United States East Coast. And it's, if you know the Grand Strand a 60-mile beachfront running along the northern coast of uh, South Carolina. It is about halfway uh, on that. And now, Myrtle Beach is one of the most popular spring break destinations for college students. Um, Myrtle Beach is also home to the, I believe, second quickest-growing metro area in the United States according to the U.S. Census. Um, and as a result, in addition to hosting the best spring break trip ideas, Myrtle Beach is considered a major tourist destination year-round with an estimated, I believe it's 14 million visitors yearly. Spring breakers can absolutely join the uh, beautiful event offerings in Myrtle Beach excursions. And that includes the beach, the city. Um, there's also um, sometimes fairs that go on. And there's multiple different events that are hosted in the city. Um, I believe there is an event called the Coastal Uncorked, which is a wine and food event uh, to ex definitely explore while you're in Myrtle Beach. So, Myrtle Beach, number four. Then number three, again, very well-known, very popular destination. You've got, and I can't stress this enough how, how much, like, people know it. Daytona Beach, Florida. Yeah, that's right, Daytona Beach. Of course I'm going to mention Daytona Beach, which is about 50 miles from Orlando. So you've got Disney, Universal, SeaWorld. Um, so, and people refer to it as the original Spring Break uh, Beach. And uh, that one's off the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Daytona Beach is the uh, principal city, really, on what is known as Florida's Fun Coast, and spring breakers can experience really, um, really wide variety of 
different uh, attractions and things to do. And Daytona Beach, Florida's 23 miles of beaches are really famous for their sardine-packed beaches because um, of, well, how many people come here each year. But they're also known, their beaches are also known, I should say, for how hard-packed they are because this is the kind of sand you can really drive on. And so there is a um, Daytona Beach road course that people can uh, either take part in or, or watch. In fact, 16 miles of Daytona Beach's uh, area is de dedicated to motorsports that spring breakers can take advantage of. And you've also got double-decker buses um, that really serve as awesome, awesome ways for students to travel around uh, from their hotel and restaurants because and, and the bars and beaches, and it is free. But most places you'll find to see are also within walking distance. And Daytona Beach's waterfront includes actually more than 15 uh, waterfront parks filled with rides, games, and some of the best snacking food you'll ever find. So, if you're exploring Spring Break destinations, especially if you're a college student, definitely check this out, uh, as it's, like I said, the original Spring Break beach party. Next, you've got South Padre Island, Texas, and South Padre Island is definitely... Um, an interesting place because it is it's distinct because it's one of the one of the only places not in Florida in the United States to draw a tremendous amount of spring breakers its popularity really started with its ability to offer cheap spring break destinations outside the sunshine state and it continues to do that. Because during the past three decades, South Padre Island has noted more than, I believe, 120,000 spring breakers that descend on this narrow barrier island for, well, fun, sun, and unbeatable nightlife. Every March, the population of South Padre Island swells well tremendously because of spring break. Because when spring arrives, spring breakers head to the various water sport activities available. 
partial list includes uh, dolphin watches, watercraft, or even choosing to go horseback riding on the beach. Can you imagine that? Going horseback riding on a beach. That's the kind of thing that you really only see in movies. But guess what? You get to take a part of that. So, South Padre Island, definitely, again, South Padre Island, Texas, is one of the best spring break destinations for college students on a budget. And then, on the top, and now many of you are probably wondering, well, Daytona Beach was listed, South Padre Island was listed, uh, Cancun, Myrtle Beach, uh, New Orleans, Jamaica... They were all listed, so who's at number one? Number one, for those of you who know, is Panama City Beach, Florida. Now, I know that's also a pretty well-known place. Um, and uh, Panama City Beach claims to be the world's most beautiful beach and the spring break capital of the world, um, which is rather easy to understand when you walk the 27 miles of pristine white sand beaches with the Gulf Coast waters tickling your toes and seeing the widely, widely popular area. And I will say, though, that Panama City uh, is also popular with uh, families since it's uh, a very convenient, like, conveniently located place in terms of neighboring other states um and now panama city beach spring break is a well-designed event coordinated by the city's hospitality industry and one of well the finest spring break destinations for college students During the day, spring breakers can hang out at the beach or try to win some silly little prizes at uh, nearby arcades. You also got uh, mini-golf. Mini-golf is a well-established favorite activity in the area. And then, of course, there are resorts that provide uh, all sorts of entertainment. You've got tiki bars, hot tubs, ping-pong, among other things. So, when planning and sorting through spring break ideas... Definitely check out Panama City uh, Beach for spring break. Folks, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WXVU Villanova, a.k.a. The Roar. And we just finished talking about uh, some of the best uh, spring break uh, destinations for students on a budget. And... Really, I, I want to say that it doesn't matter where you end up going as long as you have fun. But at the same time, I do get my information from Bustle, Penny Hoarder, Travel and Leisure Magazine, and U.S. News and World Report. So maybe what I said has a little bit of weight, but I'll let you decide. Because, like I said, at the end of the day, it's up to you.
So that's my take on spring break. Um, this week was Valentine's, and it was this Tuesday. And um, many people obviously spent that with their significant other, but many people also spent that alone. And and a lot of people definitely uh, have trouble, I should say, have trouble finding uh, significant others on Valentine's Day because definitely there's a lot more pressure in in dating, not just on that day, but just recently in time, there's a lot more pressure. And you'll find that the dating scene has become a lot trickier than it was in the past. I know personally, uh, I'm not in a relationship. And I don't know about the rest of you, Villanova, but I'm getting tired of situationships. Because they don't go anywhere. Um, and so, what is... I talked about this last week, what's kind of wrong with um, dating. Um, like, the biggest issues, so... But, I, I'll definitely... Um, I, can, I can go over them again. Um, so, I think the biggest issue with dating is, um, well, knowing what you want, um, because when you, when you meet someone new, you definitely feel sure that, or you definitely aren't sure that, um, you're not sure about them, and you're definitely sure that you're not clear with their intentions, and while flirting can be fun, it really feels like relationships only move forward when you find out, you know, where you are and of what the other person wants. Because, obviously, you, well, I guess it's not obvious that you know what you want, but you'd think it's obvious. And I think it's all about pinpointing what exactly you want from a relationship. That then you start, you know, narrowing down your dating life. And now, this doesn't mean that I'm telling you to be picky. Because oftentimes, the pickier you, pickier you are when it comes to dating, then obviously your dating pool shrinks, which means that the number of people that you can end up dating, or be dating, is much lower so, definitely don't be picky, but at the same time, be true to yourself. So, there are certain things, like nitpicking things, that don't make sense. Like, you need a guy who only sleeps on the right side of a bed, or you need a girl who only sleeps on the right side of the bed. You need just someone who only sleeps on the right side of the bed. That is definitely a fallacy um, that you'll probably never achieve. I don't think that it's realistic to want 
certain little things. I think that knowing uh, knowing my past relationships, that I had a better time when I was less nitpicky. So I will offer the same advice to you. But at the same time, there are fundamental things that you want in a relationship. So you need to know, you need to think yourself, uh, why do I want to be here? The second is definitely uh, pressure and harassment from, well, from both outsiders and also the partner. And this can be this can be kind of tricky because it's harder to stop people on the outside from 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 doing um from doing things like chatting you up and telling you that uh they need to or from chatting you up and telling you that you need to do this, or you need to do that, or your partner needs to do this, or need to do that, or be that. Especially, especially parents. Like, I can tell you that I can. I kept a lot of my relationships secret from my parents because I was afraid of the pressure that I was going to get. Because, obviously, I know what I want, but my parents, on the other hand, know what they would prefer... And they have no problem communicating that with me. And I don't want them not to communicate with me. But there's certainly a different manner that they could do. And I might be worrying kind of... It it might not really be a real concern. Like, obviously, my worries are valid. But I might be worrying about nothing. Like it might not be a problem at all. But, I don't know, and I just, I feel the pressure there. Even though I haven't been harassed, which is why I said harassment and pressure. But, in terms of getting harassed, like, I know um, some of my friends would, uh, you know, we, we talk about our relationships, and some of my friends, on the other hand, would talk about how much they disliked my partner. And that makes me feel bad for not my not myself, but for my partner. Cuz obviously she is she's doing her best, hopefully. And at the time she's what I'm looking for. But But I'm still getting that harassment that, from the outside, that either I could do better, or or maybe just simply she's not for me, or whatever. And of course, there's also pressure and harassment from inside, that, like, there's pressure always, there's always pressure on um, the dominant one in the relationship to um, keep things together. And to do things for the other. And of course there's pressure on both to 
contribute, but the dominant one in the relationship definitely has uh, more pressure to do, uh, you know, like the small acts of kindness towards your partner uh, constantly, um, to the point where sometimes they don't feel so small, and, and yeah. And in terms of harassment, if you're in a situation where your partner is harassing you, you like I I, I want to say like seven out of ten times, eight out of ten times, that partner is not for you. Um, and I think this goes back to knowing what you want, and if they're harassing you about something and you know you don't want to be harassed, then it's possible that you need to consider uh, talking with them or, you know, breaking things off entirely. But I I think, personally, I I view people as reasonable first and irrational second. Um, People do try to reason their way through things, but there are always irrational parts of us that we don't understand. But... I think you'll be able to uh, reason your way through. So that's uh, pressure and harassment. Then, of course, um, there's dating apps. And, like I talked about last week, dating apps are so, so bad. Like, they can, they can be confidence boosters because of how many matches you get, or how many likes your profile gets, but... At the end of the day, are those fulfilling relationships? Are you actually going anywhere? Because it's nice to have fun, but fun without a direction, fun without meaning, that kind of feels like you're wasting your time then. Because... Really, you can't talk about dating nowadays without dating apps because there's really over or around i should say 45 million uh, online dating users in the u.s and and the matchmaking that you get really comes from algorithms and algorithms aren't perfect like i talked to you guys about the marriage pact last week which is this um, old-fashioned style quiz type thing that uses an algorithm to pair you with somebody, and there are varying degrees of success. Like, my marriage pack last year to my marriage pack this year, quite a different story. So, I think that dating apps and just electronic dating in general is definitely not the go-to and then finally there's uh there's ghosting and in today's society ghosting is practically normalized behavior and for those of you who don't know ghosting occurs when a person abruptly stops uh all, all forms of communication really for no apparent reason so if you reach out, they'll ignore any attempts to uh, restart the conversation. 
essentially ghosting is rejection without closure. At least without the sense of closure. Because you have no idea what actually happened. Which brings up the question, how do you cope with ghosting without detaching yourself from all future interests? And the advice that I offer is really that people only ghost um, because they're afraid to address their own feelings and discomfort, or they're just too rude to give you the time, and really, you don't want to be with someone who's like that. So if someone ghosts you, don't try to rekindle anything, because that person is not comfortable themselves. And maybe that can, after time, go away, but, you know, for the time being, I would, I would personally stay away from that person. Folks, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WX Villanova, and we're talking, again, about dating. And really, dating nowadays is tough because of because of all the things that I mentioned. And um Many people don't really know, um, well, how a relationship works. Like, because, well, many people have never been in one. So, the question is, what does a healthy relationship look like? Now, I can talk from experience and I can talk from research, and I'll do both. So, I'll say that healthy relationships involve honesty, trust, respect, and absolutely open communication between partners. And they take effort and compromise from both people. There is usually no imbalance of power. I should say, actually, a healthy relationship doesn't have an imbalance, imbalance of power at all. Partners respect each other's independence and can make their own decisions without fear of retribution or retaliation and share decisions. If or when a relationship ends, there is no stalking or refusal to let the other partner go. So, what are some characteristics of a healthy relationship? Well, there's the respect for privacy and space. You know, you don't have to be with your partner 24-7. Your partner encourages you to spend time with friends without them and participate in activities that you enjoy. You know, that, uh, again, privacy and space, but more importantly, that you were exploring you. 
you know, your partner is not only comfortable with you being you and you uh, doing things you like, not only comfortable, but encourages that. And because of that, also you feel comfortable expressing yourself, you know, your opinions and concerns mainly, but also just yourself in general to your partner. And and also that you feel physically safe and your partner doesn't force you to do things that make you feel uncomfortable. Like, doesn't put you in awkward situations constantly. Or even further than that, much more drastic, doesn't force you to have sex with them. And along the same vein of not forcing you to do things, um, your partner respects your wishes and feelings, and you can compromise and negotiate when there are disagreements and conflicts. And really the foundation of a healthy relationship includes boundaries, communication, trust, and 100% includes consent. Of course, boundaries, trust, and communication are big things, but consent legally is important. Like, all those other things, technically, you could legally be without in a relationship. But, legally, you need consent. Which, I guess, works with boundaries, communication, and trust. Like, it does tie into each of them. But, consent means that you're okay with what's going on. You know? And, and... In some, in some abusive relationships, trying to enforce uh, boundaries, uh, honest communication, trust, and other healthy behaviors sometimes could put your safety at risk. Because abuse is about power and control, and someone who's abusive might not want to give up that control. So, if you're experiencing where you feel like someone is disrespecting you or being abusive... Definitely, um, I would, I would, I would have to say there are resources for that, uh, online, and, and definitely the school, uh, if you're a student listening in, uh, the school has resources too, so if you feel like you're in that situation, please get help, you are not alone, and I hope you never have to feel that way, because if you do, I personally will uh, assure you that you're not, and that you can definitely get help. So, so yeah. So, let's go through um, these different foundations. So, uh, boundaries, first. Um, well, boundaries, having boundaries, is like really drawing a line. On one side, there are things you're okay with, and on the other side, things that you aren't. You know, things you're not okay with, you don't feel ready for. Or things that just plain make you feel uncomfortable. 
And this line looks different to everyone. So it's important for you to know where yours needs to be drawn. Setting boundaries is a way to teach your partner about your needs. And to let you know when something doesn't feel right. And you are allowed to put your needs before someone else's needs. Especially if their needs make you feel uncomfortable. So, so step one is asking yourself, what are your boundaries? So think about these categories uh, that I'm going to say and what they mean in terms of your relationship. There are physical boundaries. Are you okay with PDAs, public displays of affection? Does affection make you uncomfortable? You know, do you, um, do you hate it when your partner uh, like touches you, maybe tickles you, holds you? Uh, do you need a lot of alone time? You know, stuff like that. Uh, emotional boundaries. Are you able to share what you are feeling right away? Or do you need some time to think about it? Do you and your partner... Uh, no, do you need your partner to be available anytime you have a crisis? Are you ready to say I love you yet? Or does maybe... I love you sound wrong when you say it. Um, sexual boundaries. Uh, do you need to get to know your partner a while before engaging in any kind of sexual activity? Or maybe are you okay getting physical right away? And what kind of sexual activity are you okay with? Um, setting those boundaries is definitely important too. Uh, digital boundaries. We live in a digital world. So are you okay posting your relationship status? Are you okay if your partner does that? Is it okay if your partner uses your phone? Do you want to share passwords? Um, material boundaries, uh, similar to digital boundaries. Uh, do you like sharing stuff? Are you okay with paying for your partner? Or are you okay if your partner pays for you? Uh, you want to share things like keys, uh, probably not toothbrushes, but I heard some people do that, ew. Uh, I mean, I guess, <sighs> I don't want to say there's nothing wrong with it because medically, I know otherwise, but if you want to, if you want to share, no, I can't say it. Anyways, uh, and spiritual boundaries. Uh, do you like to practice your religion with your partner, or are you okay practicing it alone? Does your partner need to have the same beliefs as you, or can they be different so long as your partner respects yours? And something that is often tied with spiritual boundaries is the wait until marriage before intercourse. Step two is letting your partner know what your boundaries are. Now, you don't have to sit down with your partner with a checklist of all the things that make you uncomfortable, but you do have to have some sort of open, open and honest discussion. 
Some of these things might come up early in the relationship, like if you are a virgin, you don't want to have sex until you're ready. And some things might not even come up for a while. Like if later down the road, your partner wants to share passwords. And when your needs are different from your partner's, you have to have a conversation. And you don't need to give explanations for this, but a conversation is is part of a healthy relationship. And it may be awkward, but those tough conversations, like I said, are part of a healthy relationship. And when your partner listens to you and respects you, it builds trust. And uh, step three is recognizing when a line has been crossed. Sometimes boundaries get crossed even after you've talked with your partner. This is where trusting yourself comes in. You may be sad, anxious, or even angry, or you may not even know what you're feeling. But always trust your gut. If something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. And that leads to step four, responding. Responding to that breach. If a boundary has been crossed by your partner who didn't know where your line was drawn, have that honest conversation. It could be something simple as saying, Hey, I really don't like it when you blank. This makes me really uncomfortable. Do you think next time you can blank instead? This might take some back and forth before coming to an agreement that meets both your needs, but your relationship will absolutely be stronger for it. And if a boundary has been crossed, even though you'd already been clear about your boundaries, this might be abuse. Crossing a line might be obvious, but it can be, it can be brunt or blunt, you know, it could be something like your partner using physical force to make you do something. It could also be subtle, like your partner guilting you into something, or begging you into something, or threatening you until you do what you want. But it could also be... No, I already said physical. But, um... But yeah, if it is that, then there's a chance it's abuse. Um, if you feel comfortable, address that with your partner. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable, like I said before, get help. If you feel like you're being abused, um, the resources are available. Please reach out. Which really is tough sometimes, but the resources are there and they're there for you. Don't think about anything, anybody else. They're there for you. Um, but also... If there, if you're, if you've already been clear about your boundaries, and the boundaries been crossed, uh, this will lead me to my next point. Um, have that conversation, tell them uh, that it happened, and if it's a mistake, they'll communicate that to you, and you'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to correct it. But obviously, if you don't feel comfortable, then take advantage of the resources. Um, tell a friend what's going on and maybe they can, uh, direct you to resources. But, but I think 
this leads us to our next big thing, which is communication. Now, communication, open and honest communication, is a very crucial part of every relationship because it allows you to share who you are and what you need from people around you. I know miscommunication is common, but it can often lead to problems, misunderstandings, and hurt feelings. And so I have some tips that will help you talk to your partner honestly. First is speaking. Be open and clear about how you are feeling. If you don't understand something, tell them. Use I statements so that the other person doesn't feel like you're blaming them or attacking them. You know, I feel that, blah, 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 blah. So, be honest. Even if you think the other person might not like hearing how you truly feel. Apologize absolutely when you are wrong or hurt the other person. And if you're talking about something negative, I find it best to mention something positive. That has always worked for me. Like, for example, um, I had a problem in a relationship where a girl would, um, like, tell offensive jokes and... Some I found funny, some I didn't. So I said, hey, I love your sense of humor, but I think that maybe some of your jokes you could tone down a little bit. And she was very receptive. But, of course, this isn't always the case. But in a healthy relationship, your partner will be receptive. And part of being receptive is listening. Listening means paying attention without distractions. So put your phone away when the other person is talking. And really listen to what they're saying instead of just thinking about how to respond. Wait for them to finish talking before you say something. Use acknowledging statements like interesting or I see to let them know that you hear what they're saying. Ask questions if you don't understand something to avoid confusion and misunderstanding. Don't leave them hanging. But if you need to think about what they said before responding, let them know. Again, communication. Let them know that you need the time to think before you say stuff. Because it's always good to think before you speak. And be prepared to hear something that you might not like. And uh, then there's body language. Make eye contact. Face them. Give them your full attention as they lean in or speaking. Then there's digital communication. Which is really, I say digital communication as a point here, but it's really the opposite. Don't have important conversations over text or online. Because when chatting, chatting online... Focusing on the conversation instead of being distracted by other things is kind of hard, especially if you're one of those people who has multiple conversations. 
Uh, if you can't respond, let the other person know so that you don't leave them hanging. And lastly, where and when to have an important conversation. When talking about something important, talk when you are feeling calm or take some time to cool down if you had a fight. And I advise you to um, do the same thing with your partner. Um, if they, if you had a fight, give them time to cool down too. Talk about your concerns before they become problems and get worse. Make sure you're talking also privately so you can really be open about your feelings. Next is trust. Now, it can take time to build trust, and while it can be hard to trust someone, especially if your trust was broken in the past, you can't blame your current partner for something that someone else did. So, here are ways to help build trust. Be reliable. If you needed your partner to listen to you because you're having a bad day, or if you needed a ride home from school, would they be there for you? And vice versa, would you be there for them? Respecting boundaries, you know, when your partner tells you, uh, when you tell your partner something that makes you uncomfortable, do they respect it? And does it go both ways? When your partner tells you something that makes them uncomfortable, do you respect it? And being honest, does your partner tell you how they feel instead of just giving you the silent treatment or trying to hint it? Do you tell your partner how you feel and make an effort to talk things through? And if you made a mistake... Would you tell your partner, or would your partner tell you? And really, this is all about walking the walk, and not just talking the talk. You know, do what you say, and say what you mean. And lastly, we have consent. Consent is an agreement between two people given through words or actions, usually words, that they are both clearly and enthusiastically willing to engage with each other. And oftentimes this is meant in terms of sexual activity. Silence or lack of resistance does not count as resent, uh, consent. Some people sometimes aren't able to give consent, such as individuals who are drunk, sleeping, or unconscious, and some people with uh, intellectual disabilities. And I'm sure, Villanova students, many of you have heard this. We had to do a little training thing uh, when we came in uh, about consent and all, uh, all that stuff regarding relationships. Um... But, uh, yeah, no, consent involves very active communication and knowing that one person always has to, has to, um, be able to, actually knowing that both people have to be able to have the right to withdraw consent. And this means that someone can consent to one activity, such as kissing, but not consent to another, sex, 
And consent, like sex, should be about respecting each other to make their own decisions about their body. And getting consent can be really simple. It's all about communication, and you talk about boundaries, and you you talk, communicate, and once you communicate your boundaries, you trust that they follow through. You know, uh, you should check in, they should check in, maybe say things like, is this okay, um, to make sure that everyone is comfortable with what's going on. And so those are, those are the things that I believe are the foundations of healthy relationship. And, and like I said, if you feel like these are being breached, uh, communicate, but if you can't communicate, if you think that you're an abusive, you're in an abusive relationship, absolutely reach out, there are resources available, they're made available for situations like these, and I hope that you feel comfortable enough reaching out, or if you can't reach out to the official resources, please reach out to somebody, whether it be a friend, a parent, a teacher, uh, anybody, um, and really, if they tell you that you're not valid, then reach out to somebody else, and I don't, uh, I don't mean to just say, keep reaching out to people until someone agrees with you, but really, relationships, like, even platonic ones can be toxic, and make sure that life is really about making sure that you don't have any toxic ones in your life. And so when it comes to romantic relationships, you know, your life partner really really put an effort in the relationship, but also put an effort in yourself to find and make it healthy. So that is all the time we have for today. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening in. You're listening to Sing of the Hill with your host, Ray Singh. And you're listening to that on WXVU Villanova 89.1, a.k.a. The Roar. Thank you guys so much, and I'll see you next time.